sharing some of my challenges and being vulnerable to my you know, student athletes, it has really inspired them. We are afraid for our kids to fail when that's what helped us to become who we are is actually through the adversity. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. Adversity is something we all face in varying degrees. And every time, no matter how robust the adversity is, we have choices to make. Will this challenge break me or will I overcome? Experts in handling adversity will tell you that you have all the tools you need internally to overcome any adversity. Over the last two days, I've been going through expert accounts of adversity and how to handle it and how to overcome. And they'll tell you to frame your mind toward positivity, find the lesson in the hardship, meditate, stay disciplined. But what if you're a young person battling your identity, suffering through bullying, struggling with a learning disability, living with abusive parents? Adversity isn't something you can just wish away. It can break you. These concepts from experts are very adult and mature. Preparing for adversity since you know it will come. Yeah, I can do that as a 40-year-old dude who has lived, but that's not quite as easy when you're 10 years old and think the world should be kind and people should be loving because why wouldn't you think that? You may be wondering, why are we even talking about this? Why are we talking about adversity? You know how sometimes you have a conversation with someone and you can't get them out of your head? Something they said hit you in a spot that maybe you didn't even know existed. You feel it at your core. I guess in a lot of ways, I'm lucky. 400 episodes into this show, and I've had the privilege of talking to a wide range of people who amaze me for different reasons. Today's guest, Desmond Dunham, gripped me at my core. Coach Des grew up in a rough part of the country in Gary, Indiana, battled a turbulent home life, struggled with dyslexia, and many other obstacles I'll let him enlighten you on. But he didn't let his adversity consume him. He found his light. Finding sports, more specifically cross-country running, helped him change the trajectory of his life. And while meditation, discipline, and framing your mind may be expert-level advice for overcoming adversity, for a young person, sometimes the answer is sports and physical activity. Not always. We're not sweeping with a wide brush here. But the concept of overcoming through sports never gets old to me. But that wasn't the end of Coach Dez's story. It wasn't just overcoming a turbulent childhood. Cross-country grabbed him at his core, giving him confidence, belief, a sense of community, and a respite from his problems at home. It became his life's work. For the last two decades, Desmond Dunham has been a coach, teacher, entrepreneur, youth sports expert, and is now an author. Just to put things in perspective here, I want to give you a little bit of a brag on him for a bit. He has coached, trained, and developed over 100 Junior Olympic All-Americans, over 100 high school All-Americans. He has won 68 team state championships, 17 national high school relay championships, and three Penn Relay championships. But the thing that he is most proud of is that his athletes become better people. He shares life advice more than just X's and O's. Now that is overcoming adversity, and that is giving back. He's here to tell you more. The author of the new book, Running Against the Odds. Here's my friend and someone I greatly admire, Coach Desmond Dunham. 
Hey, Coach. Thanks for coming on today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Hey, thanks so much, Brian. I, I really, really appreciate you having me here. Um, I love what you're doing, putting this playbook together for the uh, for those interested in going into the sports industry. And, and I'm, I'm just appreciative of this moment. Oh, this is great. I'm so excited to talk to you. You know, there's so many things I want to talk about in terms of leadership and communication and recruiting and coaching. And there's so many great topics we want to get into, but I want to want to get into your story a little bit first, your new book, Running Against the Odds. Um, it goes into your background and your story a lot, which I think is really important. Every, almost everywhere I've gone to read and to learn about you and just try to understand your story and your background is this quote that pops up a lot, you know, it comes from a, overcoming a turbulent childhood. Like that seems to be part of your journey and story. So can you give us a little picture of that? Can you tell us a little bit about the adversity that you faced growing up? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's part of my DNA. And and what, what I hope to do is to share my story. Um, I become pretty vulnerable in, um, in running against the odds, my memoir, uh, where I do share some very personal stories that I was not comfortable sharing growing up. And even as an adult, I, I realized that I still have this tug of war of emotions with some of the things. But you know, mainly, um, I just want to share my story so that I can inspire others to tell their story or for those who are going through any type of adversity that they can, you know, feel feel like that there's hope at the end of the dark tunnel. And so my, my, my goal through this memoir is to just um, inspire others. Um, um, a lot of my stories are very relatable uh, to a lot of our youth, as well as even adults and 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 I want people to live out their their purpose and passion, and 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 that's why I, I love being you know with you today um, because I, I know that this is your mission to to to, to make life a little easier um, and inspire mm-hmm. others to show that there is a road to success, and and so I think running against the odds, you, a lot of a lot of readers will find it uh, very uh, helpful, motivating, and inspiring. So where did you grow up? What was your story like? So, yeah, so I grew up in Gary, Indiana. Um, and, and unfortunately, well, Gary was a tale of two cities. I, I absolutely love my, my family. I love my community. Um, and, but at the same time, I, Gary, the steel industries began to go down. Um, you know, there was a, a great migration. And, and so a lot of African-Americans, you know, moved in, uh, to Gary. Uh, to work with the steel industry. And as that began to go down, um, then a lot of things went up. Crime went up, homicides went up. It was the um, homicide capital of the U.S. per capita. And, um, you know, educational levels, um, you know, began to go down. Um, There just became this massive struggle. And so um, myself, you know, I started off, I really loved school. Uh, but then um, early on, I, I realized that I had something different from others, and which was a speech impediment. And um, that that started an internal struggle with me and, and also my um, my affinity for school. Um, I also dealt with uh, dyslexia. And it's one thing to deal with dyslexia. It's a whole nother ballpark to deal with it when it's not diagnosed. Oh, boy. Yeah. So there became this this struggle there. Um, and then, you know, I had a, a dad and, you know, may he rest in peace who, um, you know, fought for our freedom at the in the Vietnam you know, war and, and, and served on the front line. And, and unfortunately, um, he did not receive the, the, the mental health, the therapy that was necessary when, um, when, when he returned home. 
And, and as a result of that, he did, he developed some demons that um, with alcohol that that carried over to our home. And, and that led, led to a very tumultuous relationship between my dad and my mother, where um, some some abuse took place, some some things that my sister and I witnessed at a very early age uh, that we should not have witnessed. Um, and so, you know, you, you want your, your home to be this safe haven and and you want to feel that, that there's this security and uh, love and, and peace. And and that was far from it, um, you know, growing up. And so um, yeah. I mean that and, 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 and I'm just super thankful that running um, became, you know, an outlet for me. My, my high school track and field coach uh, ended up becoming a father figure. And so I'm, 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 I'm super um, um, happy that after being cut from three teams, uh, three school teams that um, including two basketballs and a middle school cross country team, <laughs> I found myself trying out for my high school cross country team. Um, and that day ended up changing the entire trajectory of my life. Run, running definitely played a significant role. I want to dig in deeper there. I will say my father was also a Vietnam vet. My father was a Marine and my father came back without the mental health support, just like you just, I mean, I was almost like tearing up as you were talking because you were telling my story too. Uh, Obviously you overcame a lot more and I'm not trying to uh, draw parallels here, but, but that's, that's a very interesting thing. And when I was a 17 year old kid or 16 year old kid, all I thought was my dad was a bad guy. Right. But then as I got older and I started to really look at what he experienced when he was a 17 year old kid, having to go over to a foreign country, fight a war that he didn't really understand and put his life on the line every day and then get, come back and not get any support, have people cutting him down, treating him terribly. He that affected him and he didn't have the opportunity to become healed and a good person. And so I gained perspective as I grew, grew older. And it sounds like you've done a lot of that as well. At what point did you turn to running to kind of help that? Because I know that's a major thread through your story. When did you kind of figure out, like, this is something that makes a big difference for me in my life? Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I mean, Brian, you, you, you even have some, um, you know, some, some goosebumps, you know, uh, formulating on my arm as you can relate to the story. And, and as I said before, there's a lot of re- relatable. And I've had this conversation with a lot of children of, of Vietnam veterans. Yeah. And that, that seems to be um, one of the front running uh, conversations that I've actually had, um, which I'm you know pretty surprised about um, with the, the feedback that I've gotten as it relates to that. But yeah, it, it's still some things that um, that that I'm developing now to, to bring full closure on my side of things. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would love to talk to you more about that. Yeah, for sure. So then, you know, your question in terms of in terms of uh, running. Uh, so, again, I, I started high school. Well, I was about to start high school. We were two weeks away from starting high school. And someone uh, mentioned to me that you had to play football or you had to run cross country in order to play basketball. Now, I was the next Michael Jordan. So <laughs> I wasn't going to let anything stand in the way of that. Um, but I, in all honesty, I was far from Michael Jordan. <laughs> so um, I went out for the cross country team about two weeks prior to the season beginning. 
And because it was so late, my, my coach said, hey, if you can make it through today, we'll take you on. Um, otherwise, we are um, we, we, we've already got our roster and, um, and I don't want to add anyone late you know, to the season. So we'll, we'll, we'll give it a test. And I mean, it was one of the most arduous, you know, runs that, that I can still feel the pain to this day when I reflect. <laughs> um, it was 90 something degrees outside and, and I was in pretty good shape because I played basketball quite often. But, um, but this was something different. And one thing that I absolutely love was the fact that um, it was an eight mile run. Um, I, I did. You know, I was at a pedestrian pace at, at one point, um, but there was a, this brotherhood that I felt that I had not felt um, in a long time. And, and I'm a family oriented person. I, I'm, I have a phenomenal extended family, um, along with my mother and my grandmother and, and some close aunts. And so it was refreshing to be in that, that brotherhood environment. But it was something even more special about that day when I completed that eight mile run. I mean, I had not felt that type of satisfaction with any sport that I had ever played. And there was just this internal fortitude that I, that I had to display that day um, that, that no other uh, challenge in my life was even comparable. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm so appreciative of uh, the fact that there was this reward at the end of this, you know, long, dark eight mile tunnel. Mm -hmm. And that really um, just really let, lit this fire in me um, where running wasn't the, the, the most favorite thing that I would love to do in terms of sports, but it was by far the most rewarding. And it had me coming back wanting more and more. And so after the first week, I mean, I realized that that running was something that I needed to make a part of my life. Um, and, and just also to add to that, it was such a stress relief. It was, it was a way to be away from home, away from some of the madness. And, um, and, and, and so it, it just provided just this outlet that I needed. And, and, it, and it got the endorphins and other hormones going that, that um, to this day, it's a huge stress relief for me. Almost a literal running away from some of the problems you were having in life. Yes, yes. 100%. Yes. So when did it strike you as you were competing and you were going through all this that running would be more than just something you did for yourself as a you know young person competing in high school and college, et cetera, whatever, wherever it took you? When did you say to yourself, like, I want to be a coach? I want to have this a part of my life. I want to work in this industry and work with kids and help in this way. When did that kind of come clear to you? Yeah, I, I think um, some 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 major seeds were planted um, in my graduate uh, school during graduate school at Howard University, where um, we had a local elementary school that ended up losing its funding for its special programs. Um, so they no longer could offer music. They could not offer um, foreign language and some of your other specials. And so I started this tutorial mentorship program that started off with a handful of students. And then fast forward, um, you know, a year later, we had over 100 students that became tutors and mentors. And 
when I just say that, it was a feeling that I had not felt before. Um, it was such a positive experience. And, and that's when I realized that I really love being able to help to shape and mold and to also just make someone else's life better from just extending myself. And so um, a year after that, I found myself volunteering as a coach. And so between that tutorial mentorship program, volunteering as a coach, um, I had no idea I was going to live in, you know, the educational teaching, coaching, mentorship world. Um, but it's just something where I just felt like I followed my heart. I followed my passion and it eventually just became my purpose. Um, and so then it just started to snowball. And next thing you know, three years later, I'm coaching three teams. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I was also on track for medical school at one point and I'm publishing biomedical research. Um, I was a physics and chemistry teacher, um, and I was about to enter a post-baccalaureate medical program at IUPUI in yeah. Indianapolis, and, um, and that's where I did the, the research as well. Um, it was a one-year program that automatically, you know, admits you to their medical school. And so I was literally preparing um, in two weeks prior to uh, moving to Indianapolis. I had a heart to heart conversation with my mother and I realized that at that time that I wanted to stay in the sports arena. I wanted to stay working with our youth and I wanted to keep giving back and stay and, and also to stay connected with, our, with my community. Moms know, like, like yeah, yeah, so yeah. true. I, I'm not even being like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit funny, but like, seriously, like <laughs> it's the glow. It's, it's some, there's something about like identifying the glow yeah. or that excitement yeah. or that, like that fervor that you get from something that really matters to you. That really yeah. feels like purpose that mothers can identify better than anybody else. I had the same experience. I was a biology and chemistry. double. I've told this story before on the show. I was a biology and chemistry double major in college. I wanted to go pre-med. And, um, I was unhappy and my mom was like, yeah. you do everything with sports. Wow. You are always watching sports. You're always talking about sports. And she's like, figure it out. And I'm like, okay. Well, <laughs> you know, like so you need, need those yeah. moments. Sometimes you need that little yeah. push sometimes and to give you that little bit of clarity. So thanks to your mom. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> so, okay. You've been incredibly successful as a youth coach you've won more awards than I could possibly list. We don't have enough time to go through them all. But how did you learn to be an effective coach? Because it sounds like in some ways there's, there's a mix of instinct and then other components that come into it. Like how did you become good at this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I, I will say is the fact that, um, that I try to make all my teams a family atmosphere. I think that's the first and foremost is to have the culture where you're developing a brother and a sisterhood. And, and so that just came from my own personal experiences with my, with my family, you know, outside of my dad, along with the uh, privilege of being a part of two really strong family oriented high school and college programs. Um, and then, you know, Having a science background was a huge advantage. And okay. so, you know, understanding how to manipulate uh, to develop energy systems was a huge advantage. Now, the the um, I think the conundrum becomes how do you build this bridge to get athletes wanting to 
you know, develop these energy systems and to work hard enough that they are uh, doing something that their competitors aren't doing. And this is where I feel like, um, you know, me sharing some of my challenges and being vulnerable to my, you know, student athletes, it has really inspired them to want to, to better themselves and everything that they do. Something they hear me say quite often is how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm. So while a good amount of my athletes, I mean, they may like running, but it's up to me to get them to love running. And the championships are really built as a byproduct of doing a lot of other things the right way. And, and, and when you when you build it as a byproduct, you're going to get, you know, young athletes wanting to work harder. They're going to want to be at practice. They're going to want to, you know, make sacrifices for one another. It, it goes on and on. And so um, really creating that, that environment where um, using the art of working with young folks and the science and getting all of that to mesh and then also a whole lot of sports psychology um, Love it. <laughs> to, to ensure that you're putting together this this. Um, you know, championship level program. I love it. I love that mix of art and science and instincts. And it, there's so much interest in that. In that, uh, one of the things that I really noticed too, one of my favorite sayings is that there's power in vulnerability. Yes. And you've mentioned being vulnerable a couple of times. And I think you're right that when you open yourself up to your, your students and your, your athletes, I mean, there's probably a lot of power that comes from that, not only for the way they look at you, but the what they see in themselves. 100%. Obviously, that must have inspired you in writing this book was to just put it all out there. What has that journey been like, like to really put it down on paper? I mean, that's not easy. Yeah. One of the challenges I had initially was with the speech impediment. And so one, I you know, said to myself one day, you know, I need to be a public speaker. And then, you know, also dealing with dyslexia, you know, challenge myself to say one day I need to be a writer. And um, and so part of it is, you know, this this uh, check in on that on that list for me. But um, but even more so, um, I, I remember profoundly, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago where I had a student athlete after I gave a inspiring closing, you know, talk and and, and, the, and the kid stuck around and and I'll never forget. And she said it with so much sincerity. She said, you need to write a book one day, Coach Dunham. And it really resonated with me that, you know, if I if I can expand my reach, you know, beyond just my own student athletes to try to, you know, inspire someone else and to make their life better. I mean, it would be something that would be super powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing I noticed reading testimonials from students of yours is that they seem to appreciate not only the, the X's and O's, the techniques, you know, the approaches to certain things, but also the life lessons that you share. How important is that as a coach to be concerned not just with their legs and body and muscles, but also their heart and their mind and their soul? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, when, when, I, when I do coaching clinics and I talk to coaches or parents, you know, one thing that I always say is, you know, your true success as a coach is determined 5, 10, 15 years after the kid leaves you. You know, what, what seeds did you plant in their life so that they 
can become a better person and also more equipped to handle, you know, the, those curveballs that are going to come their way. You know, we, we all want to live in this world of being feeling safe and, 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 and being comforted and, and, and to just have this peace, love and happiness. But you and I both know that there's going to be times where you're going to trip up and sometimes you're going to fall flat on your face and, and how you pick yourself up is, is everything. And I want to make sure that I'm equipping my student athletes to be able to pick themselves up as people. And when you become that type of person, when you become, you know, uh, more grittier and you have that stick to I mean, you, you're going to become a heck of an athlete as well. And as I said before, that becomes a byproduct. Um, I'm super competitive. You know, I, I love to win, but that is, you know, secondary c- compared to coaching and, and teaching our young folks how to play sports the right way. And unfortunately, today we, we, we've gotten you know, so far away from you know, just um, being able to appreciate being um, able to play sports and to be on a team and to think about others and, and truly using your competitors to make you better. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it's all about. Okay, so that dovetails perfectly into my next question. Are kids today allowed to enjoy the journey of youth sports? Because I see so much where it's like, they have to be training all year round in a singular sport to be ready to play at a varsity team or a club team, whatever it may be. Whereas when I was coming up, we played everything all year round and it developed the whole body, the whole system, the whole mental aspect, competing in different ways. I just, I just look at it sometimes now, even with my own kids and I'm like, are they enjoying this process and this focus? Yeah. So, you know, and, and so what you're speaking is about is the impetus uh, to me founding Kids Elite Sports Camp. And so about eight years ago, um, I realized that my son was having this experience with, with trying out for travel soccer. Yeah. <laughs> and it was one of the most intense experiences. Now, I was a Division I track and cross country runner. I had not felt some of the stress that he was feeling um, on, on, a, on a collegiate level. And I just, you know, I, I really um, also felt like that he was missing some things or I would say that some of his friends were missing things because they were specializing mm-hmm. at an early level and um, at a really early age. And so there's a lot of science that supports diversification over specialization. And so we have all these specialty camps, you know, here in the DMV in DC, um, there's just huge focus on how do you become this next, you know, uh, a prodigy or, or professional athlete. And, and, and first and foremost, when you start to push a kid, you know, for those types of results, you're, you're already digging a serious hole for yourself. Um, you know, there are kids that are born out the womb that, that they have this DNA and, and no matter what you do, I mean, they, they have the ability to play at an extremely high level. But majority of your kids are going to, um, they, they, they're going to need to work their way up to whatever their potential is. But the one thing you don't want to do is to ruin their experience because it really starts to 
um, uh, shift them to becoming a, a different person. It, 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 they don't have the appreciation and, and sportsmanship, um, nor the ability to work well as a team. Um, and then they, you know, it becomes really difficult for them to develop overall um, who they can become through the world of sports. And so, yeah, so this diversification over specialization is the mantra of Kids Elite Sports. And, you know, we went from having 10 campers to having over 1,000 campers, four sites. And, you know, it's all about life lessons. And, and, and I'll give you a quick story where we, we do, I mean, any and every sport. And I'll never forget the time when we had quite a few all-star baseball players attending our camp. And so I came up with the bright idea that, all right, we'll have a breakout session just so they can do a little bit more baseball so they're not missing out on anything. And so that's an optional session. And so um, when it came time for that breakout session, you know, we had about 20 guys who were playing for various leagues who were all there. And every last one of them went to go play dodgeball over going to play more baseball. And, you know, we just keep getting these reaffirming, you know, the reaffirming feedback, even from our kids, that that's not even what they want to really do. And as you said, a kid wants to be able to, you know, have a variety. And you and I both know that playing a variety, those those skills are transferable over um, especially as you get older, where it's still going to help you in that primary sport. But that kid is just going to be, you know, less rundown. They're going to they're, they're going to have more excitement to play in that specializing later on in life. And um, and you probably are going to avoid some injuries as well. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. And I'm glad to hear Kids Elite Sports is doing this because. I, I feel the same frustration with my own kids, with the neighborhoods, with the with the region, um, that singular focus, that competitive nature where they're not enjoying and learning. And like it's like it, at a young age, they should be exposing themselves to different things and figuring out where their passions lie and trying different things. And it's just it's so hard nowadays where like I have, you know, kids in my my I have a fourth grader. And there's other kids in there that are already specializing like they're a wrestler or they're a basketball player or they're this. And it's like, really? Right now? Like it just confuses me. Okay. So talk about this generation then, because I feel millennials and Gen Z get a bad rap that they aren't willing to work hard. I don't think that's accurate at all. My experience has been different than that. Um, But I would ask as a coach, do you ever feel fear pushing this generation too hard? Is there ever like, you feel like there's a line there that you can't cross? It's a different time than it used to be. Have you had to adjust to this generation or what kind of, what's your vibe in in dealing with the, the youth today? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I truly feel that um, that it's actually our generation that that's screwing them up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is it's the parents, it's the coaches, it's the teachers. Um, you know, there's a lot of helicopter parents, unfortunately. And, you know, to be honest, we, we have to teach our kids how to fail. And I think that um, that we have created this safety net uh, for failure um, that for some reason that we um, are afraid for our kids to fail when in essence, that's what helped us to become who we are is actually through the adversity and and failures. You know, we we just, we're not doing the best job of teaching our kids how to fail forward. And so 
um, you know, even with my teaching, coaching, mentorship, um, there's definitely some times where I have to step away and, and let that kid figure some things out. And I'm, I'm there to still kind of help to guide them. But um, but I want I want our, you know, these generations to take risk. I want them to, you know, step out there and, of course, calculate a risk mm-hmm. and and. There's also, again, a lot of sports psychology involved where you're dangling this carrot in front of them where you're getting them to want it more for themselves. And so um, they don't always have to have us behind them pushing them. Um, But sometimes it's about, you know, introducing them to the right programs, putting them around the right coaches, Um, you know, not talking about scoreboard and results, but having a conversation, you know, how was your effort today? So I have a 14 and 16 year old. And so I'm also a dad and, and, you know, all I ever talk to my kids about is effort. And so um, they know that they're going to rank their effort um, at the, you know, at the dinner table or wherever we may have that discussion. And that's as far as it goes. And, and I'll ask them simple questions where you're a great teammate. Um, Who did you motivate today? You know, getting our, you know, our young kids to to think about others. And so when you start to, you know, ask the right questions, um, it becomes very motivating for that. Because the first thing that a kid thinks is, man, I could actually do that. I have control to do that. I can't I, I don't have any control to stop Johnny from scoring or I don't have the control to 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 score if I have a just a phenomenal defender. And so we, we put we put some of our kids in this box where eventually they start to shy away from trying and taking risks because they fear failure or they feel the fact that, hey, I don't have any control. And I, I learned that early on where my best races actually were races that I got beaten and I've actually won some races that I know that I did not give the full effort. And when you talk about maximizing your experience in sports and in life, it's about learning how to give that max effort under any circumstances, because then that begins to spill over into everything else that you do. It's so true. You know, mental health is an issue you touched on a little bit earlier, and it's something we really need to continue to have this conversation about. We see a lot of athletes nowadays taking breaks, walking away, being vulnerable, like we've talked about with their struggles and being honest about it rather than hiding it like we used to do in our generation. Um, as a coach and as a mentor, how do you stay connected to your athletes' mental health? How do you know those right trigger moments and have those conversations with your athletes? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's so true. And, and it's so unfortunate. I mean, even some of the recent situations, um, you know, the, the conversation always starts off with, well, what do you think about, you know, that decision or this decision? And the first thing I say, you know, putting my coach's hat on and parent, you know, I want to know who are the, who were their coaches and who who were their parents that allowed it to get to this point? Yeah. You know, if I'm speaking to any parents, you know, if, you know, now it is so important that you want to keep your kid in a healthy environment. And I see a lot of parents making a, a decision based off of the win and loss record of programs. And it, it, it bothers me because um, sometimes you have coaches that are unethical 
that are running. I mean, they're winning, but I mean, is your kid, you know, just because your kid is winning the battle of being on this illustrious team in terms of wins and losses, are they, you know, winning the war in terms of getting prepared for, for life through sports. And, yeah. and, I, and I have to remind a lot of parents through some of my clinics that I have with them that um, it's up to them to keep their kid in these healthy environments to, to have vision and, and, to, and to not, you know, have that instant gratification of, of making it all about the win and loss. We find the same thing, even with our kids sometimes. I hope nobody from our school district is listening right now, but we've noticed with our kids sometimes, if they're having like, you can see it when they get mentally worn down, the stress of school, the stress of friends, the stress of sports. And it's like, we've given them days off before. They're not sick. They just need a mental break. And sometimes you just have to be aware of that with everybody and just to be making that acceptable too, with your staff members, with the people around you and just being like, it's okay. It's okay to take a break. It's okay. You don't have to do this grind mentality where you have to work 80 hours a week. It just, it doesn't have to be that way. And you can still accomplish to great lengths. Yeah. So, um, you know, the one thing that I'm always doing is making sure that I check in, um, with my, with my own kids, you know, as well as my student athletes. And a lot of it's, you know, within the same, and, and I'm always trying to ask probing questions that allows uh, them to give feedback. And, you know, for example, I mean, I can do this at the dinner table or I can start a practice off with asking, all right, um, get an elbow partner and, and, and let's, um, let's talk about a rose, a thorn and a seed. You know, what's great that's happening in your life? What's, um, what's something that's not so great? And then what do you want to change, you know, in the future? And so it, you know, little things like that, you know, where you're getting a pulse check um, with your kids, um, just where they on this, you know, emotional level. Um, and so always asking probing questions, always, you know, they kind of joke around sometimes. Oh, Coach Dunham, we got to do this again. Or my kids, especially my own kids, they'll do the same thing. Um, but it really allows you to see where where is a kid, you know, where is their emotional tank? You know, because an emotional tank is like a gas tank. And, mm-hmm. and if that's on empty, I mean, you can forget about that kid performing in sports, but let alone in school as well. I mean, sometimes it's some connective tissue with, with how all of that, you know, works. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also make sure that, you know, I give that eyeball test, you know, um, is that kid, you know, does he have a pep in his stuff? You know, this kid normally has a pep in his stuff, but I'm noticing that he's kind of, you know, a little bit more lethargic um, and, 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 and pulling that kid to the side to have that, you know, one-on-one conversation. And, you know, when, when my athletes know that, you know, I care about them, um, it really opens up conversations um, where I definitely have referred, you know, quite a few student athletes to counselors, to therapists. Um, it, it goes on and on. But I want to make sure that we are early, you know, to the table in terms of making sure that they're getting the help and support that they need. Um, And just just opening up the lines of communication, I mean, just helps tremendously to um, to begin to help to repair, you know, some of those um, issues that they're having mentally before it gets to the point where they feel like they have to quit or you know, not continue a particular sport or, or before they just, you know, just kind of give up. 
Well, it's clear to see why you are such an amazing coach and mentor and friend, and you've had so many successful people come through your programs. Your passion comes through your experience. It's all amazing to hear from you directly. Um, But let's talk about the book. Where can people get it? When somebody reads this book, what's going to be their big takeaway kind of moment? What's that feeling that they're going to get? So, yes. um, So Running Against the Odds will come out September 30th. And, you know, I'm super excited. There's a lot of life lessons, you know, in within running against the odds. Um, I'm, I'm very vulnerable. I'm telling the story, uh, but it's going to be a lot of relatable stories that um, a lot of our young folks can can appreciate and even adults appreciate it. Um, it comes out September 30th on uh, Amazon. And so I would love to have, you know, your support with that. Um, and, you know, it. the one thing is, is that, you know, we always have to remind ourselves that adversity helps to build, you know, uh, true character. It helps to also reveal who we are and we have the tools to be successful. We just have to make sure that we're pulling those tools out and, and, and willing to um, sometimes just go through those uncomfortable times. And, and eventually you'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so, you know, again, running against the odds will, show you that there can be a light at the end of the tunnel, not just for myself, but for you as well, as we try to run this race of life. Coach Des, this was amazing. Thank you so much for jumping on for this conversation. I know our audience is going to love it. I know I love the conversation, got a lot out of it. So thanks for coming on today. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me, Brian. Thank you to Coach Des Dunham for coming on the show. His story is one that gripped me. And I know that those of you who listened this whole way through and listened with intention and really tried to put yourself in his shoes and his experience and even questioned yourself and thought how you would handle these things. That's what I've been doing since this interview took place. I'm thinking if I was trusted in that situation, would I have handled it as well? Would I have been as strong? Would I have been able to reach these heights that he has and give back and make the change that he has? And I don't know the answer to that. A lot of times I don't think I would have. And that just raises the bar for me with Coach Des and makes me respect him just that much more. I can't wait to read his book when it comes out. It's coming out in the next couple of weeks. Running Against the Odds, you'll be able to get it on Amazon. I suggest you do. And please check out his site, read more about him, see some of the work that he's doing in the, in the greater DC area. He's making an impact that we can all be proud of. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen. It is important to us to continue to grow this audience and grow this show. We bring in these amazing guests. They tell great stories. They hopefully are changing your perspective on a lot of things because I know they're doing that for me. Thank you for listening. Make sure to tune in next week. 